This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We have a lot to discuss today, of course, uh, on this beautiful Wednesday. Uh, with me in studio, a man that until he won and took that three-hour show in a more private location. We used to do a sh- we used to do hits all the time until your show became three hours. Stuart Varney's with me, the same Stuart Varney from Varney and Company and American Built. Stuart, did you think when you accepted that shift, how it was going to affect our relationship? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I was not aware not of the change a pause? in our relationship. Actually, I wanted a six-hour show, which would have actually <laughs> killed <laughs> any hits that I might possibly do with you. Wow, that really hurts because I would make you post tape before you left the building uh, in jeans. But Stu, we used to do it like once a week, right? We, we did. We did. And then what happened? Do you miss me? Yeah, of course. Get Who out wouldn't? of here. <laughs> I mean, a huge personality. Every day is your best show. The next day is going to be better than that. That attitude, that's you, unbelievable. You've got to be inclusive. You've got to have a couple of foreign accents on your show. Come on, Absolutely. Man. You're right. Uh, Drew uh, Pinsky has a bit of a West Coast accent. That, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, so, Stuart, I was just uh, fascinated with the fact that President Biden made this statement a few days ago saying, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to raise your taxes. Oh, and he said, for you billionaires playing 2 or 3%, not anymore. Are billionaires playing 2 or 3%? Maybe I, we should unwind that a little. I saw that speech. And what, he, what he's doing is he's mixing up apples and oranges. He's saying, no firefighter should pay a higher tax rate than a billionaire. Well, he's confusing capital gains income, which is unearned income from your stock and bond holdings, and your income from your work. And if you, could, you can't compare the two. It's completely different. The man was completely wrong on this. But it fits the pattern of Joe Biden. He's a tax-the-rich guy through and through. He's far more to the left than we expect. He's going to raise taxes for on anybody who makes over $400,000 a year of their Medicare, their Medicare taxes. That's going up. That could go up to a 5% level on incomes over 400000 bucks. That's a huge of tax increase. Same with Social Security. I don't know this for a fact, but odds are, when it comes to Social Security reform, he will raise taxes on everybody making $400,000 a year or more. Can you imagine that? You make five, six 600000 and suddenly you've got an extra 6% to pay out on top of your city, state, local, and federal taxes. You're going to be up to a taxation level, if you're making good money, of 60, maybe even 70%. That's outrageous. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't honestly believe that anybody should be paying more than half their income to the federal government. That is flat-out immoral. And here, here's uh, Joe Biden actually saying this, just in case you think we're exaggerating it. He's addressing the firefighters' union. You know what their average tax rate is? Three, T-H-R-E-E percent. Poor people. <laughs> That's why I'm proposing a billionaire tax, because no billionaire should be paying a lower tax rate than a firefighter. Nobody. (laughs) 
by the way, they still have hundreds of billions, millions of dollars. It's not like it's going to be a great sacrifice. That's pathetic. That kind of condescension is a, a just out of place. These people are successful people. He wants to tax success, whether it's billionaires, millionaires, or anybody else. He wants to tax success. Basically, this man is a socialist. And socialists say, you've got more of it than I've got. I want it. You're going to give it to me now. And they will use the machinery of government to take it off you. I've been there, Brian. I was in the 70s in, the, in, in Britain, and that's exactly what happened there. And the economy just went down. So I, I didn't start until I got this job and started hanging out with uh, successful people that I have no like, – I just like to meet with other people that are successful in other aspects of their lives. I didn't know anything about biotech. And I think I might introduce you to this guy. Um, and he was – I didn't get permission to use his name. And he just said when President Obama came over, his rhetoric was so harsh. He said, I had three or four different companies and few uh, medicines I wanted to start bringing to market. I folded up tent because I don't need to do it. He goes, why am I going to do that when there's this type of disincentive to open up business and this type of vilification of people in my bracket? I'm done. And so many people that he knew did that. Now, you might think that's bad. No, that's smart. It's like, listen, if you're gonna, if there's no incentive to build big or small, I'm not going to do it because I got to hire the doctors. I got to get the office yeah. buildings. I got to bring this stuff to market. I got to worry about losing all my money because this is like gambling. You're gambling that – this therapeutic, this this medicine will help cancer, will help uh, aneurysms or anything else. It's exactly the same if you look at it state by state. There's a huge divide in America at the moment between blue states, New York, New Jersey, California, you know the story, and the kind of government that they're implying and the government of Florida and Texas. Imagine if you're an entrepreneur starting out in California, for example. Why stay in California? Highest tax rate on ordinary income. They want to raise taxes on the rich even more. High, I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. You've got the freedom in America to move, jump ship. You can go to Texas. You can go to Austin. You can go to Florida. You can go to Tennessee. You can go all over the place. You vote with your feet. Yeah. If you live in New York City and you make really good money, okay, you will pay a marginal tax rate on every extra dollar that you earn of 14%. And that is on top of... City taxes, state taxes, and federal taxes. What's the tax rate in Miami? Uh, zero. Right. And Why don't you leave? I know. And you have tolls. They might say a toll, but that doesn't equal the same. But I would say this. Did you see that we're paying every illegal immigrant $360 a day, $1.4 billion a year, supposed to be 2.8 next year? Listen, I'm all for if I can help out, I'll pay taxes. I want those roads built, those subways taken care of. We understand the money's going to go to some places, people in need. But when I'm supporting people from other countries who have no right to be here because of politically correct politicians who want to make this a sanctuary city, I'm not okay with that. Because guess what, Stuart? You and I are getting up around the same time. We're getting up at 2.30. You're getting up at 4 o'clock. You're coming in here at 5 o'clock in the morning. We want to do it. But I also think that people got to put in the same effort. I don't care what you do. you got to put an effort in. And I want to support Americans. Kevin O'Leary weighed in on this on another network. Cut 36. Why is New York uninvestable? Try and do a project in New York. Try and build but, a Yeah, data. I'm asking, Don's point, is it beyond the taxes? Oh, the regulatory environment is punitive. I had a project in upstate New York behind the grid in Niagara Falls for electricity, a global data center we were building. Eventually, it got so bad with the, the politicians in the local region and the state policy, we moved it to Norway and all the jobs. Wow. Norway has it now. Thousands of jobs coming out of that. I mean, that is 
That's New York. Uninvestable. Sorry, don't shoot the messenger. Just telling you the way it is. That's yeah, it. Uninvestable. Some pushback from our, our elected officials in New York I on that. I was going to say Kathy Hochul. Yeah. But I'll debate it, them any time of the day you want. Uh, any, we would love to suffer. Particularly AOC. She's great at killing jobs. She kills jobs by the thousands. You know another New Jersey problem? Where did Amazon take their jobs? They took them away from her. She threatened to sue them if they created jobs. I mean, this is a reality. This is a reality that... There's a little more to it, but let's not relitigate well, that. Well, you know, sorry. I'm just telling the truth. Can I just pick up on one small element? They didn't want to hear that. Why don't they want to oh, hear that? Oh, no, are they, they, they pro-anti-business? Oh, no. Hogan will debate you on that. What is she debating? There's nothing to debate. <laughs> just let me pick up on something that Kevin said at the beginning of that soundbite. He said it's hard to get things done in New York. Dead right. I tried to renovate properties in New York City, in the, in the New York City area. Oh, oh it's a minefield. How long ago is this? It's recently? a total, yeah, it's a, three years ago. It's a total morass. You can't do it. Whereas upstate, I built a log home 20 years ago, and the planning permission for that log home, now we're miles out of New York City, 150 miles north. Up there, the planning permission was one sheet of paper. Where do you want to build? Oh, there? Okay, that's it. And the one regulatory thing that I had to pass was a guy turns up at the door with a bucket and a shovel. He says, hi, I'm here to do the perk test. And I said, what? That's the test that you have to pass if you want to build a house. He digs a hole, fills the bucket with water, pours the water in. How long does it take to percolate through that hole? In a minute, we were done. Fine, you got planning permission. Can that's you believe it? What a yeah. difference, what a difference. Uh, I mean, it's almost like something Lincoln would have went through. I mean, that's how rudimentary <laughs> that People don't understand, upstate New York is very rural. I mean, it's like Iowa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, forest. it's wide open. You have a lot of room up there. I have my two daughters uh, not only are up there, they play soccer up there. So I'm traveling all around catching up to them. I'm, uh, I'm amazed, and I grew up here, how much open space there is up upstate New York. Yep. And they're not run down towns. There are a lot, but there's Saratoga Springs, and there's uh, well, I see coming back, and Syracuse has some signs of revitalization. Buffalo, they say, is the number one place for young singles in our country. Yeah. Well, it's cheap, affordable, and there's a lot of young people in this industry. Yeah, the, I mean, rural parts of New York, you're dead right. I mean, they are rural in space. I've got a tree farm up there about 100-odd miles north. You of, do? Yeah, I do. What kind of trees? We grow hardwood timber for furniture, not Christmas trees. Wow. Red oak, black cherry, white oak, hard maple. That's what we grow. And you can make a profit doing it. Uh, but they won't let you frack. I've got a big piece of property. I'm sitting on the Marcella Shale. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. That's Governor Cuomo. That's Governor Cuomo and Governor Hochul, too. She doesn't want it. I'm sitting on this property. I've got enough nat gas underneath my property to probably uh, heat and uh, light a home, uh, 20,000 homes. Wow. Easy. But I can't do it. Not allowed to go get it. See who kills me? I remember this. They did the environmental impact study, and Cuomo says, I'm going to wait to see what comes out. And when he came out and said it will have negligible impact on the environment, negative impact on the environment, he said, I'm not doing it anyway. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. So he's just playing a big game because it's politically not correct. Meanwhile, a politician that's savvy, that does things for the constituents, would probably get elected in this country. Just like crack down on a crime if you're a Democrat, you're going to run for reelect. You're going to get reelected. When are they going to realize that? It's, it's just a divide in the country between the blue states of the Northeast and California and the red states of Florida, Texas, Tennessee, et cetera, et cetera. 
It's a nationwide divide. When we come back, the difference between states and philosophies with uh, Stuart Varney from Varney and Company on FBN from 9 till noon. He took that last hour, and it hurt our show, but it helped his career. (laughs) What's more important? Discuss it with your family in the break. (laughs) Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I learn and listen and read and stuff like that. You know, it's got, it has got a little complicated between business and government and stuff like that. But, but you know, anyone here knows that I'm a full-throated, red-blooded, American patriot supporter of free enterprise. So, you know, I hear the complaints on both sides. And, but, you know, you listen and learn from that. I don't worry that much about it. And we've been... We've loved Florida. We're growing in Florida left and right. You know, small businesses, large companies. We got, I've got how many total employees we have here. I'm on my way to Tampa. We've got, you know, major operations there. Orlando, major operations. Uh, we're opening branches. And so uh, the mayor just joined us at a small business event we did here. We're very pro, pro-Florida. And, you know, Mayor Suarez, went he wanted to make it the Silicon Valley of Florida become the new Silicon Valley because of the taxes and the environment. And he's been having a lot of success. Have you noticed something about Florida recently? You see a lot of people smiling. And it's not just the weather. I mean, there are people that it seems like a dynamic, bustling, happy society where people are out, they're working, they're enjoying there, yeah. themselves. I mean, it's a fun place Going to be. Going back tomorrow. You want to contrast that I mean, with New York today. City or New Jersey, for yeah. heaven's sake? Oh, it's grim. It is grim because of the environment, the business, tax, and cultural environment that you're living in. Florida is a free state. Texas is a free state. New Jersey, New York, California, they're not. You know what's interesting is the head of the teachers union came out, and I'll just paraphrase one of her tweets that was misspellings all over the place. Essentially said, you should get the cost of living down in Florida and stop worrying about the schools. So number one, a, a little bit, the prices did go up, no question about it. The prime rate has nothing to do with the president, I mean the governor, but there's a, there's a need right now to move. There's a lot of people who want to go to Florida. So that's causing the price of, uh, the, you know, it's causing the cost of living to go up. She should ask herself, why do people want to move to Florida? And leave New York. <laughs> why is that? It's obvious why. Education for a start. You can't be woke in a Florida school. You're not going to have CRT in a Florida school. You're not going to have public universities with diversity programs and entry fee, uh, diversity entry programs. You don't have that. She wants all of that because that's what she's got up north. And she just – she understands why people are going to Florida. She understands. Just don't want to admit it. Right. And the thing is that I think it's going to help this country more than any other economic plan or spending spree would be to let people, let parents like you, your father of six, uh, be able to pick their schools. Yes. If you could just pick the schools and say, okay, I want to go to that local school. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, if I said I wanted to go to a Catholic school, we did not have extra money. Now, it was every unit in the play, even though my parents came from uh, – both play went to Catholic schools. So if I wanted, it just was not in the plan. But if you tell that inner city kid, you know what, I want to go to that charter school, but I don't have the money, I don't need a scholarship, but now I can go so I could change things. You know what, the public school would get better too because they're right. losing too many students, which means less teachers. Under, under Governor DeSantis in Florida, uh, parents will get $8,600 per year per child 
to spend on education where they wish. They could spend it on a charter school. They could spend it on a private school. They're getting a voucher system. They can do homeschooling. 8600 bucks per child per year goes to them for their choice of the educational for their children. Can you beat that? I mean, can yeah. you really beat that? That's how you break the monopoly on public schools of the teachers' union. That's how you enforce standards which the parents are acceptable with. And here's how, um, here's how upside-down Democrats are. They used to be, like Elizabeth Warren, when she first started running, was for school choice and charter schools. And now they can't do it because teachers' unions said, we will support Democrats. Yep. So they are hurting minorities who they say is their base and their focus in order to get money from a teachers' union. And what, how much is your soul worth? It, it, it breaks my heart to see these youngsters in our inner cities denied a decent education. You see the lines of people lining up. They want to get into those charter schools. But de Blasio... He wouldn't have it. He wouldn't have it. The heartbreak on those kids when they couldn't get into a good school, that's a disgrace. It is an absolute national disgrace. And a lot of them are fearing for their safety. There's metal detectors they're going through. There's the horrible results. If you're listening to us in Baltimore, which you might be, and if you're listening to us in, uh, in Chicago or Massachusetts, in Boston, and in parts of New York, guess what? You're looking, you're probably listening, your kids are probably going to a low-performing public school, and I couldn't believe it, 26 school districts, nobody had a passing grade in math. That's right. It was 50. In Baltimore. Yeah, but there were 55 schools in Illinois where there wasn't a single student reaching passing grade in reading or math. 55 schools, not one youngster passed those standards. That's outrageous. That's why the exodus to the Texases of this world and the Floridas of that's why it's going to speed up, because parents are being given a voice here. Right. Education is going to be a big element in the 2024 election, and it is a Republican issue, not Democrat. No, I agree. And uh, lastly, for those people in Texas and Florida who said, I worry that a lot of these uh, men and women and families from blue states are going to come here and change the <laughs> politics. It hasn't happened. No. A 19-point win for the Republican governor. And in Texas, you still have Republicans doing well. Beto O'Rourke is still unemployed, I think. I think I mean, he's going to stay unemployed, too. Right. Um, yeah, so, Stuart, who is coming up on American Built? Do you have any idea? Uh, we've got a variety of uh, subjects. Um, we've got, uh, let me see, in the immediate future, not absolutely sure, but Monday nights, 9 o'clock on Fox Business. Tune in and you'll see it. And every day, 9 to noon, FBN. Uh, correct, yes. 9 to noon, FBN. Barney Eastern and Company. Yes, and sir. just let me tell you, I don't want to get jealous, but I have Rich Lowry next of National Review. I know really? you attend will be a little jealous. Well, of I'm guess. sorry. You better cut my time short. Give him some more seconds. I, I wouldn't say short. We've had a quality half hour. And in, I'm able to do this interview in Florida. Incredible, isn't it? Where it's free. Oh, oh, I love it. Back in a moment, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. That's a rare appearance for Stuart Varney. He used to come on all the time. I'll explain in the break. So busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, it's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from beautiful Tampa, Florida. I had a chance to be, be at a great restaurant, Goody Goody's Legendary Restaurant. It's uh, really launched in 1925 here. Kind of a diner, but it sounds like a lunch place. 
But we're able to go live this morning on Fox and Friends and able to come from these beautiful studios here in Tampa Bay, Florida, and have a chance to interview Governor DeSantis later today. And then we'll bring some of that back for radio and One Nation on Saturday night. But with me right now is Rich Lowry of National Review. Rich, welcome back. Hey, how are you? Uh, man, there's a lot going on. I become a Florida resident like everyone else. I might as well. I mean, <laughs> it just seems like everybody I talked to, no one grew up here. Uh, they all came here and and feel and feel as though they made the best move of their lives. But mm-hmm. uh, I will say a couple other things. I had the best rest. Of, I had the best comment today from someone in the diner. They said, "Stop coming here." I live in Texas. I vacation in Florida. Stop coming to my states. Stay in your state and fix it. So that, that's one thing I do worry about. Everyone running to their own states for the first time in my lifetime, and that furthers the divide. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, you know, it's um, you look at, at New York State here. If uh, the, the demography of New York State had been the same ten years ago, I'm making this up. You know, I'm not not sure about the exact time frame, but uh, if a lot of people hadn't left, you know, there's a chance that Republicans wouldn't the, would have won the, the governorship. You look at New York City; it's just all the people inclined to root uh, vote for Rudy Giuliani. Uh, at least a lot of them have left, you know, so it does make it harder. There's no doubt. So I want to bring you to something you didn't write about, but I'm sure you want to comment about, and that is the FTC looking into the backgrounds of the reporters who got access to the Twitter files in Elon Musk. They want him to answer to why he fired people, uh, what he's doing, why he exposed the inner workings of Twitter. He bought the company. What is the FTC doing? Here's Jim Jordan. It didn't make any sense to him either. Cut to Well, the FTC called up, uh, sent letters to a private company and asked them, what journalists, who in the press are you talking to? Now, think about that, Sean. This may be the most egregious threat to the First Amendment I've ever seen. They, and this, this harassment of Twitter started when Elon Musk bought the company. I think 12 different letters they sent in a span of like two months. But the most egregious part, in my judgment, was the idea that they're going after journalists. And they even named personally some journalists in there who were part of the Twitter files. Two of those individuals named, by the way, are going to be testifying in front of our committee on Thursday. I, I don't know that I've ever seen this kind of attack on First Amendment freedom of the press like we see in what the FTC is doing. Have you, Rich? Yeah, I mean, the regulatory apparatus is just totally out of control. The, the antitrust enforcement, I mean, they, they're basically bringing antitrust cases against anyone who merges with anyone, whether it, it's potentially monopolistic or not. And this is crazy. As you say, he bought the company. He can do with its information whatever he wants. In terms of what journalists he was working with, we kind of know, don't we? <laughs> you know, they, they published the information from the Twitter file. So <clears throat> the, the Twitter thing from beginning to end has involved this uh, disturbing and bizarre um, uh, involvement with government. You know, the, the FBI is pressuring them to do this. Now you have the FD, FTC pounding on them to do that. It's a private company. You know, it's an important one, but uh, it's, a, it's a private company, and government shouldn't have anything to do with how it governs itself or what of it does. Of course. And why are you looking at Facebook? Why? Because this guy bought it? Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, do we want to find out what Facebook was doing with the FBI, what Facebook was doing with Democratic leaders? I mean, Adam Schiff has emerged as somebody who would call up uh, Twitter and say, take this down. So did yeah. Senator Angus King. He's all over this, too, taking down tweets from his opponent. So to me, I'm all, if you want to do something, I don't think you should. But why don't you find out what was going on with Twitter before Elon mm-hmm. Musk bought it? Not since. Rich, yeah. I, and tell me if this is a fantasy world. But you know how Dave Chappelle stood up in comedy and could refuse to be canceled, followed by 
Sebastian Maniscalco and we've seen Chris Rock talk about what he, is Elon Musk powerful enough to push back and ridicule the regulation rather than succumb to it from yeah, no, what he, he, he does what, what he does with so many different industries. Three people, you know, in in the world that that have the power, uh, the fame, the riches, and the gumption to um, to, to uh, push back against the woke mob and government regulators like this. And and you mentioned, you know, we've talked about two of them, Chappelle and Elon Musk, and then there's J.K. Rowling. The hope is is that yeah. it provides a measure of courage to everyone else. But you know, you look at Twitter. You're, I don't know about you, but your day to day experience is not any really different. You know, there was this kind of freak out over Elon Musk. Basically the same thing. They just can't stand the idea that it's owned by someone who does not accept their orthodoxies and uh, is an a independent thinker. It drives them crazy. I mean, between uh, between the satellite cloud that he has that's helping change the war in Ukraine, between the space uh, between SpaceX, between the tunnel group to be traffic, he's working on that. He's going to put chips in people's brains. I'm not thrilled with that. But he is in bed with government, and he's also at the number one electric car in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go clean, you got to think Tesla. So mm-hmm. if you take him down, you're actually hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just everything you named, it just goes to there's been such obsessive attention on Twitter. It's the least important thing he's doing, <clears throat> and, and he is one of the most important entrepreneurs of our time. You know, Were they to be considered up there with, with Henry Ford's and the greats in American history, just the rockets. You know, If he did nothing else except for the rockets, or maybe nothing else except for Tesla, I mean, these are enormous achievements. Uh, no question. Uh, you know what's interesting is if you look at what's going on with crime in America, you saw the president agree with Republicans and block the D.C. Council's uh, light on crime, new laws that they try to pass that even the Democratic mayor was against. Now I see Governor Hochul in New York pushing back against the bail reform, saying that it's wrong, people don't feel safe, we got to change. That's from Lee Zeldin. You know, that's from what yeah. happened in New York. And that's the overwhelming feeling that even Mayor Adams has been saying from day one. People do not feel safe. And then you see the, the mayor a uh, mayoral election in Chicago. Rich, have we got to a turning point where Democrats can't ignore this? It's uh, we, We've seen the last couple of years that you can't push people too far, even in San Francisco, where Chase Bodine, the, the awful Soros prosecutor, is recalled. Even in Chicago, where Lori Lightfoot, who uh, you know swept to election four years ago, gets 17 percent in a Democratic primary, and hopefully now even in New York. You know, I don't think Eric Adams has done a, a good job as, as mayor. I think he's a bit of a of a dilettante, but he has his hands tied because it's a state that has this uh, bail reform law, responsible for this bail reform law that's made New York City um, uh, almost un- ungovernable when it comes to uh, chronic uh, criminals. And if, if Hochul will turn on that, that's that's a big deal and, right. and could make a difference. I just saw a clip um, your your colleague Lucas Tomlinson tweeted yesterday from the D.C. Um, uh, the chief of police down in D.C. saying every murder suspect, on average in D.C., 11 arrests prior to committing the murder. And he just said, you know what? Uh, for, you know, maybe we need to track illegal guns, but we, what we really need to do is keep dangerous people in jail. And what's happened on the left is there's for, for the last 15 years, there's been an entire industry created to deny that reality and its implications. Dangerous people need to stay in jail, and that makes the streets safer. And, and if, if big cities and New York State can realize that, great. Rich, think about what kind of our conversations. They are the most fundamental, rudimentary conversations. 
we're not even talking about the nuance of foreign policy. You know, we're not talking about, uh, st- I always say stem cell research has got good people on both sides of that issue, Nancy Reagan and George W. Bush. I, and we used to talk about interesting things. Now we're saying to ourselves, wouldn't it be good for minorities to have charter schools that have already been allocated like the 21 in New York? Wouldn't it be good for teachers to be able to produce results that allow people to pass in math and science in cities like Chicago and Baltimore? And now we're talking about is it good to be uh, to allow criminals to run rampant and create victims in every major city in the country? Yeah. And then we talk about things like should we enforce our border at yeah. all? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to mention. I mean, that's the one that, that uh, is right up there in terms of just being elemental. It's a border. It's a border for a reason. We had this blockbuster New York Times story uh, last week about these unaccompanied minors. Unsurprisingly, you know, if you're a kid sent alone into another country where you don't know anyone, are being exploited as child labor. You know, Can you believe this? Of, of laws that have been in the books for 100 years. So we've uh, imported this social problem, right? It's not as though, like, every uh, kid in a desperate situation who's a native to the United States is, is getting all the help they need, right? But there were importing more kids that need help. It makes zero sense. And um, you know, some indication maybe there's a story uh, out um, today that they're considering detaining families again on the border, which would at least be a step in the right direction. But th- this has been gross malpractice, and uh, it was totally avoidable. You know, The situation was under control, as we've talked about many times, and they went out of their way to blow it up. So they're, they're talking about these families and this big pushback on the left wing because they think all families should come in here for free and then we should support them. Uh, to the tune of what, four million dollars a day in New York City, uh, one point eight billion for the year, two point four billion next year. Think about that. A New York City that's losing successful people has been taxed like crazy. Now has to take our money and put illegal immigrants because they refuse to not be a sanctuary city and put them in luxury hotels and feed them and clothe them. So when they start cracking down on the border with the policy you just mentioned, and Title Forty Two goes away. Everyone says this is the Trump policy. So KGP comes out yesterday and says this is not Donald Trump's policy. And here's what she runs down. Trump tried to deport dreamers. We try to protect them. Trump was all for dreamers staying. He was looking to deal, and they just walked away from him. Trump ripped babies from their mother's arms when he reunited those families. We reunited those families. Yes, he had a policy for 10 days. There was a bad idea by Secretary uh, by uh, by Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, that was quickly ameliorated. That wasn't a policy. Trump banned asylum, forcing more people to try to enter unlawfully. He didn't ban asylum. He made people apply in the countries they were in. Mm-hmm. He said he, he financed a useless wall. If you talk to 97% of Border Patrol agents, they want it built. And it mm-hmm. helps daily along with the technology with it. So my fear is they come out and they'll just get their back up on this, and they're not close to solving the problem. And then she comes out and says this about fentanyl, cut five. Because of the work that this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl at the border, it's at historic lows, historic levels, uh, that we have been able to uh, record a number of personnel working to secure the border because of what we've been able to do. Seizing that fentanyl, uh, we've done it in a historic way. That's because of what this president has done. I mean, is she, is she out of her mind? I mean, that, yeah. you could not be more inaccurate. I, 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 I don't even know what that possibly would be referring to what is she talking about um i'll give you the stats fentanyl deaths in the united states are up to sixty-eight thousand. Uh, last year there was seventy thousand. this is in 2022 68 000 plus 
2021, 70,000 plus. In 2020, 56,000 plus. Before that, when Trump was in office, 36. And before that, when Trump was in office in 2018, 28. Please tell me the deaths related to it. Yes, they're getting more because it is absolutely flooding the border. Through this year, already 9,351 pounds of fentanyl. Already, we're in uh, March. Last year, there was 14,000. We're almost halfway there already. Yeah. What is he talking about? And, and this, this fentanyl crisis is – you know, you hear a little bit about it in the press, but I hear about it more on Fox than anywhere else. And that just seems bizarre to me. This should be a five-alarm fire you know, uh, all around the country, and uh, people should be obsessed with it. And they're, they're just not. It's taken on kind of a partisan element, which is, uh, which is crazy. It's a little bit like the, the lab leak thing. You know, Everyone just should have been open to the evidence. The left insisted it had to come with an, from an animal. It couldn't have come to a lab. Why? You know, and why? Why aren't they, they seized of the, uh, this matter? Is there, you know, they're, obviously, they're not pro-drug overdose, right? But they, they, they don't give it the attention um, it deserves. I, I'll say um, taking hits from the left, as Biden did on the, the D.C. crime thing, crime bill, and if you get to take the major incoming on, on just shifting a little bit on the border, that's very good for him politically You know, because uh, it, it defines him as more of a centrist Democrat even than he isn't. Um, so he, he's not doing a, a Bill Clinton total shift. You know, after the midterms and ahead of a re-election fight, but he's doing a, a little bit of one. So I want to look at 2024. Trump's in. Nikki Haley's in. Vivek Ramaswamy is in. It looks like I think Pence is just a formality. I'd be surprised if Pompeo isn't in. And then it looks like after this two-month legislation uh, passed in Florida, after they get it through, it looks like I would believe DeSantis is going to get in. Donald Trump's campaign is interesting. He's winning in almost every poll except for one state poll that I saw in California. And his message came out Saturday, and it's in the posters. He said, in 2016, I'm your voice. Today, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. You know about taglines and marketing and sales and what works. Uh, remember, I mean, I'll give you an example uh, Compassionate conservatism. That was George W. Bush. Certain things work. Does this work? I thought the Seaspack speech where he delivered that line was really good for his purposes. It was a sign he remains an A plus political performer. I think that's you know it's a base message for 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 his voters um, and a really powerful one. And that's that's a true voice of of populism for for better or worse. And what he also said in that speech is you know we're never going back to the, the party of of Jeb Bush and Karl Rove and Paul Ryan. It was really like a, a mega more than ever. Like sort of saying you know oh Joe Biden says we're ultra mega. Yeah we are. And I think it's going to put pressure on DeSantis to kind of go there or kind of match him. Um, in a way, DeSantis can't really at the end of the day. And then Trump will wheel around and say, see, he's not really one of us. He, he's one of them. You know, he, he's, he was with them when he started his career, and he's secretly still with them now. Uh, he, he's a tool of the establishment. All, all the people who hate me and hate you are with him, so, so you've got to nominate me again. And I think that's, uh, that's a message that, that really could work. I, I've been doubtful. I was like, you know, what's, what's Trump's message going to be? How is he going to catch lightning in a bottle again? The 2020 election stuff does not really work, um, but this 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 could. Um, and and you know, polling indicates there's no tiptoeing around Trump. That there's no hoping he collapses and and you'll you'll inherit the mantle. Right. You get you got to go top of this guy, and that's gotcha. a, that's a daunting thing. Rich is uh, very insightful as usual. Thanks so much, Rich Lowry, National Review. Back with you calls in just a moment, Brian Kilmeade. 
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So interesting to be in Tampa because, you know, you go to places uh, in New York, people think, okay, it's uh, it's a very blue city, any of all the major cities. And then you go to Florida, you think, well, they're, they've become very red. Not in Tampa. I mean, Tampa is still considered a Democratic city. They have a Democratic mayor, which where I'm at, that's where I'm talking about. Jane Castor is basically running unopposed again. But in Hillsborough, in Pinellas County, deeply Democrat for years, it is kind of switching. Chris got crushed here. Remember what Governor DeSantis did. He got the Hispanic vote, and he was able to do better with the, uh, with the black vote. And I'm wondering if that's just here and if it's just because Chris was so weak. But I also think it's that whole thing of being effective. Being effective, because Rick Scott was a real good governor. So it's not as if the state was struggling. He was organized. He had it run, but he had two very tight elections. One, he came back from about 20 points to win the first time. Then he was trailing by about 20 points again and came whipping back and was able to squeak out a victory. But his pure performance, and I'm just wondering in the big picture, uh, if Tampa is really indicative of where the country's going, if they are persuadable. Because I would love to see who's persuadable out there. Because I'm not going to be impressed with whoever gets the nomination. I'm going to be impressed with the person. They can get the nomination and leave independents, undecideds, and moderates in play. Can you do both? It looks by the track record as governor, DeSantis did both. We're all going to find out. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Normally I come out to you, come out to you at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. But now we're heard around the country, around the world from the beautiful Tampa Bay, uh, Florida. And it's uh, part of that whole free state thing. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. You wanted some control of your life. And if you live in Florida, you got it. And even working in the diners the last two weeks, last week was, or two weeks ago was Ponte Vedra, uh, Florida, right in the Jacksonville area, and then Tampa Bay. People are just saying, uh, not even talking about the weather. They're just talking about, I love the fact that it's pro-business. I love the fact that I'm not really paying taxes. I love the fact that if I get hit for a toll, it's because I chose to drive. Uh, and that sense of freedom and that someone's looking out for you. And I don't have the same feeling in New York. Hopefully it'll come back. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Joe Biden has backed away and backed down every time. And even today, he said, no, you're, you're, we haven't changed our policy, China. You're just a competitor with no. us. Killing Americans is not competing with the United States. Thank you, John Rodcliffe. You are 100% right. China's bluster shows the pressure we have put them under is working. How the world has responded to China's threat is inspiring. And their effort to unglue our society is being unmasked. We will take you around this, the massive action needed. Number two. Those who kill American citizens must be held accountable. And, and at the first instance, this wouldn't happen if we had responsible presidential leadership. Joe Biden created the chaos at the border. Uh, I would say so. From kidnapping to border storming to drug trafficking, Biden's border policy is perhaps to his greatest failure. Now an effort to fix it is causing the left-wing uproar, which is probably good news for him. We'll talk about it. 
Number one. Well, the FTC called up, uh, sent letters to a private company and asked them, what journalist, who in the press are you talking to? This harassment of Twitter started when Elon Musk bought the company. Yeah, that is Jim Jordan. Outrageous, isn't it? Under attack, Elon Musk gets massive pushback thanks to his huge Twitter buy and a mission to expose the truth. Can he withstand the pressure? I hope so. No one, if he can't, we're all doomed. Uh, let's go. By the way, Jamie Kilston, uh, Kilstein is going to be with us, comedian, podcaster, writer at the bottom of the hour. But right now with me is Miles Yu, senior fellow director of the China Center and Huston Institute. Miles, just fascinating what's going on with China. First off, could you de- thanks for joining me, but can you describe to me the significance of President Xi calling us out directly and aggressively a couple of days ago? How unique is that? Well, I think it's unique in the sense that uh, uh, Xi Jinping now is facing a serious uh, green economic and political and international realities that the regime is really uh, is in bad shape. So they need this kind of rhetoric. They need this kind of poise. Uh, to have some sense of like a triumph and a victory. That's communist, you know, it's always like that. Um, so, but we should not take China threat lightly uh, because Nobody they did. have grow- yeah, they have growing capabilities. On the other hand, this is always the Chinese tactic to use the kind of war scare to extract and promote cooperation to force the U.S. to back down. So in a way, it's kind of a test of will. So I think, you know, um, uh, um, number one, we should take that very seriously. On the other hand, we should always keep in mind this is a traditional, typical tactics in order to disrupt the Americans' uh, uh, will to, to 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 push back. So, so and to, Wall Street, obvi- Wall right. Street, obviously, play along and they want to go back and re-get China. So that's not good. Yeah, we can't. I mean, there's got to be a massive effort to decouple. Massive. Uh, China's foreign minister said this. If the U.S. does not hit the brakes but continues to speed down the wrong path, no amount of guardrail can prevent derailing, and there will surely be a conflict and confrontation. With China and Russia working together, the world will have a driving force. The most unstable the world becomes, the more unstable the world becomes, the more imperative it is for China and Russia to steadily advance their relations. But let me push back on that. Since China's aggression and infiltration and the pandemic, South Korea and Japan are starting to work out their differences. Japan is doubling their defense budget. Philippines are letting us in with their new leader, and starting to have a bitter military presence in their ports. The Guam base has been expanded, and they're seeing the way the, the NATO came together against Ukraine. There's a, they, they have to feel somewhat worried, more worried than ever before, because they never predicted this unless you feel differently. You're right. I, I think China's strategic confidence is boosted tremendously with this uh, recent uh, sort of uh, hobnobbing between Moscow and Beijing. On the other hand, China also is keenly aware of the fact that uh, allying with Moscow is not really the way to, to escape from your predicament because Moscow is basically international pariah. So you, you align with them, then you become a pariah state too. So that's why China right now, on the, on the one hand, it feels more confident, more robust uh, uh, by calling Vladimir Putin a pal. On the other hand, precisely because of movements like that, China becomes either further isolated. Uh, you, you mentioned about Japan, you know, about South Korea. I would also add India and Vietnam, the Philippines, a whole bunch of other countries, too. They're all vigilant against China. Uh, so um, uh, I, 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 you mentioned about the Chinese foreign minister's threat to uh, urge the United States yeah. to hit the brake. The country that really needs to hit, uh, to hit the brakes uh, are China. It's China, basically. Of course. You know, that's basically, it's, 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 a, it's a very uh, sort of, you know, 
uh, 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 ironic. Uh, President Xi says Western countries led by the U.S. have implemented all-around containment, encirclement, and suppression against us, bringing unprecedented, severe challenges to our country's development. So they want to make their country forget about their own economic challenges, their unemployment, their lack of growth, their restrictive COVID lockdowns, and they want to have a common enemy. We've seen this before. But not only are we not slowing down, my hope is we're picking up. Here's Senator Warner with Senator Rubio speaking out against TikTok. Cut nine. My friend Marco Rubio and I both think that TikTok is a national security threat. Remember, we've got 100 million Americans that spend on average 90 minutes a day on TikTok. Um, TikTok and, and, and ByteDance that owns it, um, based on Chinese law, has to be first and foremost responsible to the Communist Party of China, which is, I believe is a national security threat. And they collect data from Americans and they potentially can manipulate the videos that you see on TikTok, which could turn into an enormous propaganda uh, uh, machine for the Communist Party of China. So, number one, are we overreacting or underreacting with TikTok? I think we're underreacting because of what the Senator Warner is saying is that is about one particular company. What we should be talking about is really the entire economic system of China is fundamentally incompatible with a free market system. Um, I mean, you, 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 you sanction TikTok, you, you decouple well from TikTok, and there will be other countries too, other companies too from China. So it is the, the way that the Chinese government uh, controls, infiltrate uh, economic activities and companies. That's what, what that should, should work on. So I would urge Congress to go far beyond TikTok and to, to enact some kind of comprehensive uh, legislation and to basically know, to make sure that the systemic competition between the United States and China is not just like one particular company or two. It's basically the entire economic model, political model, and the ideological differences between the two systems. But, he, but here's what uh, most of the stuff they got, uh, they stole. But one thing is pretty clear. Last week it came out in 20, to 28 of the 34 leading technology uh, fields in the world, China leads. So educationally, they're passing us. We know this. That what's helping us is they're taking the free market principles, the little they had, and they're taking it out of the system. They're buying back. They're taking their companies from successful entrepreneurs, from the Jack Ma's of the world. Another billionaire, I think, got jailed and uh, disappeared about three weeks ago. So they're taking that away, which is going to really devastate them. But somehow their discipline with education could devastate us. You're right. I mean, I think, you know, uh, the uh, 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 this basically, you know, uh, uh, is almost like, you know, 1957, a spot moment. Right, the Soviet Union suddenly uh, is ahead of us in in uh, uh, space and missile technologies. So, and then we react uh, uh, pretty much like the same way we're, we're reacting to China's uh, te- technological advance. However, we should not uh, forget that uh, China's technological advance, to a larger degree, is based on stealing Western ideas, yes. innovations. So, we are the the country of innovation. We're the country of good ideas. And I think the, the, uh, the, the thing we should be uh, confident about is that even though China may be ahead of us in some critical area, but we can always come back because this is a country of great innovation and uh, ingenuity. And I think that we should not keep that uh, – uh, we should, should not forget about that. And I think that once this country is focused, 
the kind of a bipartisanship that we are seeing right now. And I remain very optimistic that we shall triumph. Miles, you, I'm glad you're on our side. Uh, he's with the Hudson Institute. Uh, Miles, you, thanks so much. You bet. All right. Uh, he's director of uh, Chinese Center at the Hudson Institute, I should add. We come back, Ian O'Connor. On what's going on in sports, could Aaron Rodgers be coming to the Jets? Did Daniel Jones just sign for $40 million? And what else is brewing out there about a Tom Brady comeback? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Ian O'Connor, the New York Post, joins us now. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Privileged to have with us Ian O'Connor, the New York Post, and everything else. Uh, also, best-selling author Belichick. Uh, of course, brings us to the Tom Brady situation and so much more. Wrote the Jeter book as well. Brings us through the Yankees. Uh, Ian, uh, thanks so much for the time. Exciting day for New York sports. The Jets uh, get in the uh, Woody Johnson's jet and go visit Aaron Judge. Uh, Aaron Judge. Uh, Aaron Rodgers out in California to convince him to join the team. And Daniel Jones signs a $40 million a year contract. What's the bigger story? Well, if Aaron Judge, or Hiram's at Aaron Judge too, <laughs> um, and maybe they should visit Aaron Judge. He's actually out in California uh, when he's not playing baseball too. But Aaron Rodgers, if he goes to the Jets, I think that's certainly the bigger story. He's an all-time great player. And I think that it will probably happen at this point. The really? Green Bay Packers, is, yeah, I think, Brian, the, the Packers, the way they've talked publicly about Rodgers in recent weeks, it appears they are absolutely ready to move on. And it reminds me of 15 years ago, as you recall, when the Jets acquired Brett Favre. And the Packers made it clear then they were ready to move on to Aaron Rodgers. And now they're ready to go to or turn to Jordan Love and so I, I actually think if I had to put $100 on this on opening day in September, I think Aaron Rodgers is starting a quarterback for the New York Jets. And the reason why our audience knows all this that aren't big sports fans is he is a big personality. I mean, whether it's talking COVID or his philosophy, his national ads, he's even become bigger. He did that in Green Bay. Can you imagine if he's successful in New York, who's got this great defense, and needs sudden, despite two number one picks uh, over the last three years as a quarterback, they need a quarterback. But wouldn't there be a trade possibly that might make this prohibitive? Isn't there going to be competition from the Raiders and other teams? I don't think there's going to be that much competition here. I think this is going to come down to, and I wouldn't be surprised, Brian, if the Jets and Packers have already arranged what the really? deal would be. I don't know if the Packers would have granted permission for the Jets to fly out and meet with Aaron Rodgers unless a deal was pretty much in place. Wow. So, uh, to me, it, it sounds like it's the Jets, the Packers, or retirement. And I think he's going to end up picking the Jets. I do. Now, a lot of your listeners probably don't know the history of the New York Jets like you do, but they haven't won a Super Bowl. They haven't appeared <laughs> in the Super Bowl since man stepped on the moon. So that's a long time ago. And so Aaron Rodgers, even though he hasn't been in the Super Bowl in 12 years, he is still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He's one of the best of all time. And I think he'll be rejuvenated if he makes this move to New York. I, I really do. And, and so uh, it'll be fascinating. He does have a big personality. It's the biggest market. And so it'll be a very interesting marriage to follow. 
Daniel Jones gets forty million a year. You point out in your column today, Ian O'Connor, that he's twenty-one and thirty-one with the Giants, uh, and I think it's a good move. It's not my money. That's what they're getting paid. In a few years, that'll be Midland probably. But how did? What was the holdup, and why did forty million work for both sides? Well, I think forty million is a number that, when you look at his accomplishments, it, it seems ridiculous, but. That's where the quarterback market is and where it's going. And some of these other players behind him at that position, first of all, Mahomes, you look at what he's making. He's the best quarterback in the league. And whether it's Herbert with the Chargers and, and other players, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, they're going to be at $50 million or above. Yep. So it's a crazy, crazy <laughs> market for quarterbacks. That, that position is 80% of the sport. That, that's why these players are commanding the kind of money they're commanding. And a guy with a disappointing, really, career, when you look at it statistically so far, and Daniel Jones can ask for that kind of money and get it. He actually asked for up to $48 million a year. So for a guy who threw only 15 touchdown passes last season, that's a hell of an ask. But he got 40, and uh, – and I think he'll, he'll hardly be the last guy to get that kind of money at that position. And Saquon gets franchised. Is he upset, you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I think he, he wanted – now, during uh, the bye week in November, he had negotiations with the Giants where they had 12 to $12.5 million a year in a multi-year deal on the table. He didn't take that. Now he's on the tag at – a little over $10 million. I still think they'll work out a multi-year deal. He is a great representative of that franchise, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up with a three-year deal here in the coming weeks. They're just quality human beings, uh, both of them. In case you don't know, they're just the type of people you want representing your franchise. You can only hope for the best, even if you're not a Giant fan. Uh, and those are two drafts from Gettleman, who was highly, criti- uh, highly criticized, and uh, he was fired. So real quick, Lamar Jackson... Where's he going? He's in a situation, if I, if I understand this correctly, where they franchised him, but if someone comes in and wants him and gives him an offer, the Ravens can say, I'll match it or give me two number one picks. What do you think will happen? I think he'll stay in Baltimore, but if, if Aaron Rodgers decides to either stay with the Packers or retire, I think the Jets have very little choice but to turn to Baltimore and, and, and Lamar Jackson and try to get that wow. done. And I, I do think when you have a quarterback in his prime, he is worth two first-round picks if he's a legitimate star. And, and Lamar Jackson's a former MVP. He is a, a legit superstar. And I think New York would have no choice but to do that. So I think that's a possibility. Real quick, Charles Barkley on Kendrick Perkins saying that the MVP, uh, white people get uh, uh, too many votes for MVP uh, because they're white from NBA writers who I sent, I sense he indicates they're racist. Listen to what Barkley said about racist white writers. If only five white guys have won MVP in the last 30 years, that makes zero sense. His argument. Zero last, sense. Last minute, your reaction to Barkley. Is he right? Well, I think so, and there's subconscious bias, obviously, in, in society that does exist, but I, I know some of the voters, and he's right. Very few white players have ever won this award, and part of the problem is how do you define MVP? People have different definitions of what that is. Is it the best player in the league, period, or is it the best player on a winning yeah. team? And exactly. I think that's part of the problem. 
Right, Ian, exactly. So, it's not, there's a lot of racist things going on in the world. This isn't one of them. Can we take a break? Ian, you're the best. Thanks so much for your time. No, thank Ian, you, Brian. Take Ian, Ian O'Connor, New York Post, the best. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show moves on. Just a second. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The thing I have a problem with is the selective outrage. Selective outrage. Everybody, you know what I'm talking about. One person does something, they get canceled. Somebody else does the exact same thing, nothing. You know what I'm talking about. You know, like the kind of people that play Michael Jackson songs but won't play R. Kelly? (laughs) Same crime. (laughs) One of them just got better songs. Chris Rock, a little of a stand-up that made so much news. It was live on Netflix. They never really did anything live before. Did not know that. HBO used to do it all the time. And the fact is, he addressed at the end of the show the biggest story, and that is the slap from Will Smith. How did he do? Uh, let's ask a, a professional comedian who does this for a living. Jamie Kilstein joins us now, a podcaster, writer, stand-up comic, uh, and we're privileged to have him with us now. Jamie, welcome. Hey, bud. Thanks for having me. Hey, I know you wrote about this in Substack. So just yes. your thoughts, I mean, from the, com- from the comedian perspective, the pro, and number two, just from an audience perspective, I mean, did, uh, what was Chris Rock's approach, and did he, did he achieve his goal? Yeah, I mean, ironically, the thing that a lot of the left is getting mad at um, is what made the special so good. Side note, I started off as a liberal comedian in New York under the Bush administration, like watching Chris at clubs, and never thought I would be defending him on, like, Fox, which is, shows you how much things have changed. Uh, he... If you are on the left, you can look at that special and go, oh, it was too conservative. If you're on the right, you can look at it and go, oh, it was pretty liberal. And that's what good comedy is. Good comedy is being able to attack your own side, being able to attack yourself, being able to critique the things you see around you. Um, The idea that it was some sort of, you know, Chris Rock has suddenly gone conservative is, I mean, it's ironically, it's selective outrage, right? Like you can pick and choose little parts to fit your narrative or your talking points to get clicks on Twitter. Um, But the bottom line is a good comedian should be pushing the buttons of both sides, um, trying to get laughter, trying to bring people together. And that's something we don't see a lot right now. Somehow comedy has been drug into the culture wars. And, you know, a lot of the left is just saying comedy is just all, you know, punching down these like evil right wing guys. It's not. (laughs) What comedy is, is it's taking really hard situations and trying to get laughter out of them. The fact that we have politicized laughter at this point (laughs) kind of shows me that we're doomed, right? Like Republicans already get all the cool words. You guys get like freedom and God and guns. Like now liberals are giving away laughter. And like the only thing we have is like, well, we, we complain a lot like it's so sad man you should be able to get into a room full of people who are on the left and on the right and get us all to laugh at what's going on because if not like 
what do we have? So, so Jamie, if you watch Leno and watch, I'm sure you did, in his monologues, he was an equal opportunity offender. So was exactly. Carson, obviously. He, he was best friends with Reagan, but he would mock him all the right. time as a guy that was forgetful and uh, repeating yes. himself all the time. And I think Reagan was laughing the hardest. But when you only right. hit one side, and I, I know they're probably your friends, but Stephen Colbert's show could be on MSNBC and or yep. CNN as well as Jimmy Kimmel's show. Uh, he's still yeah. hitting Trump every night. And Trump's just not yeah. in the news every night. <laughs> I know. I know. It would be like if I was still making, like, George Bush jokes. Yeah. It's so insane. And, 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 again, that's not – and, look, man, I used to do it. You know, when I was, like, super on the left, it, it, it becomes – um, addictive. It becomes addictive to get these applause breaks, just kind of telling a room full of people who agree with you things they agree with. But that's not a comedy show. That's a I political so. rally. You know what I mean? Like when you're around your friends, the times you laugh the hardest are when someone like busts you on something and you go, yep, that is what I do, right? That is what we should be um trying to do and you know when you were asking me as a comic what do i think what the left is not understanding in these critiques is like look at the audience the audience is a liberal audience it is from all the camera the crowd shots primarily black it is in baltimore he got an applause break when he said he was pro-choice um you know you could tell by what the audience just clapped at that they were pretty much on the left and so the fact that he opened up by critiquing woke culture, and he opened up by pushing back on the left, that is a brave move. That's not pandering to the right. I know. That's not, oh, Chris Rock sold out. It was the exact opposite. It was, I'm going to first call out this crowd on stuff they do. And then he went into, you know, January 6th material, and then he went into stuff that made fun of the left. And then he went into stuff, like, that to me is, is perfect comedy. Uh, by the way, I was talking to Jamie Kilstein, who's a comedian, podcaster, writer, uh, and Jamie's just uh, also on Substack, uh, wrote about Chris Rock and sound about politics. Here's more of what he did. Here's Cut 28. Typing out woke-ass tweets on, on a phone made by child slaves. <laughs> Cut it out, man. Not only is everybody full of shit, not only is everybody full of shit, every business is full of shit. Everybody you do business, they don't even tell you about the product no more. They just tell you how much charity they do. Lululemon, I walk by, and in the window of every Lululemon, there's a sign that says, we don't support racism, sexism, discrimination, or hate. And I'm like, who gives a f <laughs> You're just selling yoga pants. So funny, right? It was so good. First of all, there were so many bleeps. I thought I was getting call waiting. I like kept looking at my phone. <laughs> um, the you know, and the the tweet thing I used to do when I was super woke and on the left and living in Brooklyn and every cliche imaginable. I would literally find myself. Someone could be like, "Jamie, your mom's on the phone," and I'd be like, "Tell her I can't talk. I'm tweeting about feminism." Like I was <laughs> so concerned about looking good, right? right? About looking good as opposed to. You know, now I live in Texas, and I'm friends with so many conservatives, and seeing people on both sides who aren't on Twitter, who are just trying to be good people in the world, um, has been – and it sounds silly, but it, it, it's been such a, a, a life changer for me. And by the way, that Lululemon joke, it's 
a joke that both sides could laugh at. If you really break it down, you know, he has a line a couple lines later where he goes, oh, you don't discriminate against anyone? Your yoga pants are $100. You hate poor people. That is a if I'm going to stereotype, that's a progressive joke. Yes. You know, the right will say, oh, it's making, or sorry, the left will say that it's making fun of, you know, woke culture or people trying to be inclusive. No, it's not. It's making fun of a rich corporation that is using marginalized communities in order to profit by selling $100 yoga pants to mainly white ladies. Wow, well, you do break it down. That is a great analysis. Uh, here, the other guy that I've been looking to is Bill Maher. Not to agree with you yeah. because he's just pointing out the lunacy. Here's an example of Bill Maher uh, just a couple weeks ago. Cut 29. Yesterday I asked Chat GPT, are there any similarities between today's woke revolution and Chairman Mao's cultural revolution of the 1960s? And it wrote back, how long do you have? <laughs> Because, again, in China, we saw how a revolutionary thought he could do a page one rewrite of humans. A lot of pointing and shaming went on. Oh, and about a million dead. And the only way to survive was to plead insanity for the crime of being insufficiently radical, then apologize and thank the state for the chance to see what a piece of shit you are, and, of course, submit to re-education, or as we call it here in America, freshman orientation. Wow. Right. I mean, break that yeah. down. Yeah. And, you know, people will treat people on the left will treat Bill Maher like he is this alt-right proud boy lunatic. <laughs> and he will he will still go after the right. And he will. You know what? What people like you are doing that I think is really important is it you can. You can look at someone. Bill Maher still considers himself a liberal. I think Bill Maher is still vegan. Um, and you can look at him and not completely dismiss him. Of course. Just because he had some views that are different. And when I was liberal, I thought – the reason I was liberal when I was younger is I thought it was like this is the where you go to be inclusive, right? And now – all you're seeing is the left just kick people out, move the bar, kick people out, move the bar. And it's the opposite of inclusive, whereas so many of my conservative friends here, um, you know, dude, they're more inclusive than all of my liberal friends. Um, you know, you know what, liberal Jamie, friends you know what I think did it too? Uh, accelerated mm -hmm. all was the pandemic. Wear a mask. If you don't yeah. wear a mask, I have no respect for you. If you don't get vaccine, I will not speak to you. Uh, if you don't, you That's better it. not come in here. Uh, I mean, you're, you're selfish. I mean, the, the outrage people would have. And then we find out all the stuff they told us was wrong and your instincts were right. And not being able to make a decision on your own about your future, your job, your relationship, the distance, who you can have over yeah. for dinner and the holidays. That's where the yeah. rubber hit the road. Nobody talked Democrat or Republican. Who's taking that away and who's letting me live? And that's why yeah. Texas and Florida thrived. Yeah, well, and I to what we were talking about before, which is we somehow found a way to politicize laughter like we were talking about and politicize a pandemic. And both of these things are things that should bring people together. And I'll tell you, man, I am – a lot of the interviews I've done this week, they've been like, you know, is comedy doomed or whatever. The shows I've been doing, I've been having the best shows of my life, and I know for a fact that there are liberals and conservatives because I'll yep. ask in the audience and there is such a there's a laughter that comes from 
Um, I mean, trauma, comedy comes from trauma, um, which is uh, there's like a cathartic um, element to that laughter. And I think it's because people on the left are tired of censoring themselves. People on the right feel like they're, they're being represented a little more in comedy. And everybody just misses that time where no matter who you're making fun of, no matter what kind of language you're using, look, man, if Dave Chappelle really hated trans people, right? If, if all his stand-up specials were like, we got to get rid of these people, then I'd be like, okay, that's probably not good, right? Um, but that's not the case. If someone was actually being hateful on stage, they just wouldn't get laughs. They wouldn't get work, right? But if you are just making fun of the absurdity of today's culture, which, by the way, is going to have elements of the right and elements of the left, people are so happy about that. And I've been saying on stage, if we just got off of Twitter for like a week and did more things like get into a comedy club and laugh at both sides and see that if we could all laugh yeah. at the same thing, which is like laughter is the closest you can get to God, right? Laughter and music. And if you can really just do that and then the lights come on and you look at the table across from you who maybe voted differently, but you're like, man, we were laughing at the same jokes that entire night i think that that's actually a place where we could start to come together but instead for some crazy reason the left has been like you know what <laughs> like we got to go after joy and they've just started attacking comedy and meant half the people tweeting about it either i bet you money didn't watch the special or yeah. like secretly laughed but was like i guess i gotta tweet about this because everyone's mad uh, you know, my, my theory is Elon Musk has to stand up to the censorship. He's the only one with the power. And Dave Chappelle and very few others uh, are one of the few that could stand up to people trying to cancel him. He'll say, next, uh, I'm selling out that yeah. arena across the street if you don't. Very few people can do it, but they'll actually lead. You guys are leading the charge. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's crazy that people – look at comedians that way that it has even become politicized but at the same time there is something very um special about humor you know again like i started comedy when people were like were you the class clown i was like no i was the one who got beat up and made fun of um most comedy comes from trauma when people are like how do you become a comedian i'm like i don't know man I have an alcoholic mom like that's <laughs> where comedy comes from pain right and so because of that, you can use – like, you know when you're in a fight with your wife and everyone's just getting – they're so tense and mad, and then the first person to make a joke or you say something stupid and you realize you messed up or you realize you're wrong and you both start laughing, the second that laughter hits, you go, oh, man, we're going to be okay. We're going to be right. fine. We'll figure it out. And suddenly you can talk like rational humans again <laughs> instead of like psychopaths who are yelling at the person you love. Um that's what we can do. That's why when I was on the left and now I call myself like a bleeding heart centrist, now that I'm a little more conservative, I talk about these issues not because I'm gotcha. like, man, I want to destroy the left or I want to destroy the right. I talk about them because if you can talk about these really hard issues and you can get laughter, that is the first gotcha. step to have a normal conversation. And Jamie, if people want to see you do stand up, where do they go? Uh, you can go to jamiekilstein.com slash tour, or I have a, a mental health comedy podcast called Advice Not Taken. Nice. Jamie, I look forward to seeing you. It was great conversation. Thanks so much for the perspective. Thanks, brother. I hope to see you soon. All right. You got it. one 866 Back with your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. As this year's award season gets underway, there's growing movement to get rid of the gendered categories of best actor and best actress and instead call them best actor and best actor who got paid less. Funny. That is good. Uh, but there is a movement to do that. That's the crazy thing is the setup is the comedy, right? I mean, uh, Allison doesn't have the microphone. I keep looking at it. She's gonna talk. I think it's on, but we'll find out. We'll have Eric scrambling in the control room. <laughs> Uh, John, you listen on WABC. Hey, John. Good morning. Brian, for the last 10 years, the entire TV platform has been weaponized for humor against the right. I think it's time we start declaring exactly what's going on. The left has been at war with the right for the last 10 or 15 years, and the right's response has been to move more left. This isn't a moral equivalent. The left has been at war, and they need to be the one to wave the white flag and ask for a surrender. Well, you you watch Gutfeld. And you know how funny that show is every single night, and it's almost entirely unscripted outside the open. So that's not raising raising the white flag or acquiescing on your views, right? When did that show start, Brian? Uh, Well, Red Eye started eight years ago. Red Eye started eight years ago, and then Brian's show was a response a couple years ago. I'm sorry, Gutfield. So there's one show on TV, and all the primetime shows on 2, 4, and 7 are geared towards destroying the right and nonstop making fun of them. Right, but you know what happened, John? John, you know what happened? And you'll be happy about this, and I think you'll agree. uh, A lot of people just stop watching, and that's why their ratings suck. They're in every single home with a broadcast television, with a television with an antenna. And their ratings are terrible. I mean, Carson on a bad night would get like a seven. These guys are getting one fives, one point five. Jimmy Kimmel gets a one. He's on ABC, and that's why Gutfeld's doubling him on a cable network. I know there's streaming in all different ways you get on your phone, but there's no way that you should be on a broadcast channel on late night television on on the Tonight Show and be losing to Greg Gutfeld, even though it's a better show. It's because of what you said is right. And they've taken over, and people don't want to hear it. They want to laugh. They don't want a scripted interview with a celebrity that despises you. And, and in some cases, hopes you don't see their movie. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Normally coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country and the world, but now we're coming to you from beautiful Tampa, Florida, the 1040 AM studios, uh, News Talk uh, News Talk of Florida. And that's, of course, uh, you know, kind enough. Everybody's been kind enough to help us out here. Uh, Bruce Midori, Brad James, uh, Genesis Media, letting us use these great facilities. Had a chance to be in Tampa. I'm going to be interviewing the governor later today. Had a chance to be in Tampa at the... Um, uh, the Goody Goody Burger Place has been around since 1925 and do our classic diner shoots at Fox and Friends. So uh, great to be able to do this, uh, be able to still do the radio show. So before we go any further, uh, bottom of the hour, Julie Banderas is going to be joining us in studio. Um, and uh, we have Myra Flores standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Joe Biden has backed away and backed down every time, and even today he said, no, you're, you're, we haven't changed our policy, China. You're just a competitor with no. us. Killing Americans is not competing with the United States. There you go. Uh, that, of course, is uh, the voice of uh, none other than John Radcliffe. 
and we're talking about uh, the China bluster. It shows the pressure we put on them and we put them under is beginning to work. How the world has responded to China's threat is inspiring. But the President of the United States doesn't seem to be holding the line. We'll talk about what he needs to do. Number two. Those who kill American citizens must be held accountable. And, and at the first instance, this wouldn't happen if we had responsible presidential leadership. Joe Biden created the chaos at the border. From kidnapping to border storming to drug trafficking, Biden's border policy is perhaps his greatest failure. Now an effort to fix it is causing a left-wing uproar. We'll discuss it. Number one. Well, the FTC called up, uh, sent letters to a private company and asked them, what journalist, who in the press are you talking to? This harassment of Twitter started when Elon Musk bought the company. Yeah, that is true. Uh, that is Jim Jordan under attack. Elon Musk gets massive pushback thanks to his huge Twitter buy and mission to expose the truth. Can he withstand the pressure? I think so. But let's talk about what happened earlier this week. Uh, four Americans went over over state lines through Texas and were kidnapped. And maybe it's a mistaken identity, maybe not. Shots rang into the car, the white minivan with Carolina license plates, two dead, two survived. Uh, found holed up in Mexico. Drug cartels thought to be the culprits. With me right now is former uh, Texas Congresswoman Myra Flores. Uh, knows all about it. Now senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, whose husband's a Border Patrol agent. Uh, Congresswoman, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, first off, the horrific kidnapping. Can you put this in perspective? And why has there not been a presidential address on this, a way to sit down, some outrage expressed instead of a press secretary making some passing comments? It, it's heartbreaking to see. You know, I'm I'm from the state of Tamaulipas. I was born in Tamaulipas. I have family in, in Matamoros who I don't visit as often because I'm afraid. And that's uh, the situation that many Americans uh, are going through here in South Texas. I have family across the border but under this administration, it has gotten worse. Illegal immigration funds the Mexican cartel. And now they are more powerful and fully in control of the border, fully in control of the state of Tamaulipas. There is a, a travel advisory not to come to Tamaulipas because it is dangerous. These people have no respect for for human, for any human being. They have no respect for the Mexican people. They have no respect for the American people. And it's sad to see that we have a president that doesn't have our back. We've got an attorney because general who said did, the Justice Department. Them. Yeah, the, the, attorney, right. the, ju- them. the attorney general said he'll be, will, he'll be relentless in pursuing justice on their behalf. We'll do everything in our power to identify, find, and hold them accountable. I just don't believe it because I have not seen anything like that. So listen to how horrific That's this right. was. The mom of one of the kidnapping victims, the survivor, she's alive. I talked to her. I talked to her. The nurse at the hospital called me and let me talk to her. She was crying. I asked her how she was doing. She says, I'm doing okay. Uh, she was crying because her brother got killed, and she watched him die. She watched the two of them die. They both died right in front of her. I mean, how horrific is this? It's horrific. It's horrific, and that is why we need to label them as terrorists, because that's exactly what they are. They have the Mexican people terrorized, and now they're doing the same to the American people. They're killing us also by bringing in poison into the United States. They're bringing fentanyl into our country, killing our children, the future of this country. Where's the outrage? 
You see, the Democrat Party has selective outrage. They get an outrage over the stupidest things. But what about this? The things that actually matter. Listen, I hear you. Black Lives Matter on this. It's very frustrating. They just use the Hispanic community. Here's the press secretary yesterday, Congresswoman. Here she's describing uh, the things at the border uh, cut for. Cartels kill Americans on this side of the border with drugs. And now they're killing Americans on the other side of the border with guns. Why is President Biden so comfortable with cartels operating so close to the U.S.? The president takes this very seriously. He takes this very seriously. The FBI and other agencies have been on top of this uh, from day one. And so that's what he's going to continue to do. Uh, when it comes to Americans' lives and when it comes to their, the safety of Americans, the president's always going to make sure that that is a top priority. Would President Biden ever consider using the U.S. military to disrupt cartel operations? I'm, I'm just not going to get into uh, the military and how it's being used. Lindsey Graham's talking about doing that. Uh, it looks like the cartels are more powerful than the Mexican government. Should we work out something with the Mexican government and start taking them out? Absolutely, but the Mexican government will not accept this. But why do we need their permission? Well, I mean, when you invade another neighbor and take out, yeah, I mean, if it was ISIS, we would kill them. We would just take them out. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the Mexican government will not participate, does not want to solve the issue. If If they would want to solve this issue, they would have accepted the help long time ago. President Trump offered to help them. And they said no, that they could handle it. Clearly, they haven't handled it. It's only gotten worse. People are being murdered, kidnapped every single day in Mexico. Yeah, I'm I'm from there. And it's only gotten worse under the AMLO administration. And it's gotten worse under the Biden administration. And at the end of the day... We're all hurting tremendously. It's the people that hurt. So the president is uh, thinking about putting a policy where they detain families on on the other side of the border. It's exactly what Trump was doing. They got so much uh, criticism from Democrats, and now they're all upset that he's considering doing it. So KGP went down the list and talked about how Trump is so much worse. He said Trump tried to deport dreamers. We went to court to protect them. Trump ripped babies from the mother's arms. We reunited those children with their families. So, number one, on Dreamers, the president was looking to deal on that. He couldn't get a partner. Trump ripped babies from arms. That was a policy for two weeks, Uh, not even. That's right. Trump banned asylum, forcing people to try to enter unlawfully. That is not true. He made them stick up to uh, adhere to our laws. They had to apply for the country they were in. So, I mean, what do you you believe? What policy has been more productive? The Trump administration's policies were more productive. Under this administration, we have kids being brought into the United States illegally to be exploited and be sold into child sex trafficking. Yeah. That's under the Biden administration. He claims to care for kids. Where's the outrage on kids being exploited and being sold for child sex trafficking? Where's the outrage? They don't care about the safety of the American people neither about the safety of the immigrants coming in into our country, because if he cared, he wouldn't put in place policies that encourage illegal immigration, knowing the trauma and the abuse, and knowing it's going to empower the Mexican cartel, because no one can cross illegally into our country without paying the cartel. Just a few days ago, 
the Mexican cartel killed immigrants for trying to cross illegally without paying them. They have a quota. If you don't pay that quota, you cannot cross. And if you dare to cross, you will get killed. And women and children are also being abused. And the so, reason this is happening is because of the Biden administration's policies. So, I mean, or lack of policies. I, I wonder if they're going to get the point where they got to do something because it's so overwhelming. They say this whole policy of applying the country you're in or the next country you walk into is working. But what I find hard to believe, I can't get a number on, if you apply on an app and, and you get accepted, we fly you into our country. Does that count as an illegal immigrant crossing? Does that count as, a, as an asylum situation? I mean, does that, is that just moving them past the border to another, to another city that's got to be their problem? I agree with you. This is not going to fix anything. And no one talks about the people that have been waiting for over a decade to come here to the United States legally. Everyone talks about the people crossing illegally, crossing illegally, they're applying asylum, but no one talks about the millions of people at this moment that we should help and support because they're doing it the right way. And we could send a strong message that if you do it the right way, this is exactly what you're going to get. We should be helping them. But everyone uh, right now is claiming asylum, and they don't have a legitimate asylum claim, and it hurts those who actually do have a legitimate asylum claim. So let me just ask you real quick, uh, final thought. Authorities say the Americans kidnapped in Mexico may have been confused for Haitian smugglers. A former law enforcement official with ties to the investigation told that to the Dallas Morning News. Does this seem like mistaken identity? Do you have any idea? Does your, your husband's a Border Patrol agent. Does he, does he have a theory? Correct. I don't believe that for one second. These people knew that they were crossing for medical care. They knew they had thousands of dollars with them. Yes, they were targeted. I believe they were targeted, but because they knew that they had thousands of dollars with them. All right. Congressman, what's next What's next for you, by the way? Do you, do, do you, <laughs> are you going back to Congress? I'm, are you going to find another office? I'm, fo- I'm focusing in Texas right now and, and helping the PS pass school choice and property tax cuts. And I'm 100% focused in Texas and getting things done. And I'm actually getting a lot more time here right now. And so for this moment, uh, focused in Texas and making things happen here. All right, Congressman Flores, thanks so much. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, good. Listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 we also have a situation where Anthony Fauci spoke out last night. Uh, really doesn't think a lab leak is possible, uh, but he's very curious. Uh, as if anyone could ask him the question, why'd you write the memo to give the doctors uh, commission and, and, a, and a commission to write the lab leak theory as folly? Why he was behind that, why he has not been asked that is crazy. Why he still goes on every television show that asks him is nuts. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. In addition, we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet.
So there you go. Up go the rates and down goes the stock market. Over 500 points. And there was a lot of confrontation yesterday because of it. And because, I'm just wondering, is that the only move the Fed has? Couldn't they have tightened up money earlier? Couldn't they have let people know if we continue on this pace, this is going to happen? So at least you could say, I told you so. But we don't get that. So when you say, I'm going to raise rates, think about this. The house that you was about to be sold, that you were selling, was now worth less. And now that guy or that woman can't get the mortgage because the rates went up. It's no longer possible or feasible. And then there's certain uh, certain type of revenue or, or loans you're not going to be able to take to grow your business and keep people employed. That's what they want to do, slow down the economy, which is personal pain for the American people. Cut 22 with Senator John Kennedy. And he wanted Powell to fully understand the magnitude of what he's doing. Cut so 22. in effect, this, I'm not being critical. When you're slowing the economy, you're trying to put people out of work. That's your job, is it not? Not really. We're trying to we're trying to restore price stability. No, um, you're trying you're trying to raise not, not the wages. Un, you're trying to raise the unemployment rate. There are and, lo- and so there that are a lot me, of that mean I know you don't like the phrase, so let me strike it. You're trying to raise the unemployment rate, are you not? No, we're not trying to raise it. We're trying to realign supply and demand, which could happen through a bunch of channels. Like for example, uh, you know, just job openings. All right, job let me, openings. Let me could, put it another way, okay? The economists did a, did a wonderful study. They looked at, at, at 10 disinflationary periods in America going all the way back to the 1950s. Disinflation is what you're trying to do. It's a slowing in the rate of inflation. Am I right? Yes. In other words, prices don't go down. They just don't go up as fast. Deflation is when prices actually go down. You're trying to achieve disinflation, are you not? Yes, we are. Which is a little concerning because we thought we had inflation just going down, period. Uh, the spending stopped. It was supposed to contract. People were supposed to reconfigure, get our, equilibri- our economic equilibrium back. But now people are still buying. Credit cards are getting maxed out. Jobs are solid, even though we're seeing some, some just precipitous layoffs. But in the end, when you come out and say, I'm going to raise rates, understand the real-world implications of raising rates. Claire, you're listening on FM News Talk 97.1. Hey, Claire. Hi, I love Donald Trump, but I'm going to vote DeSantis because you have the chance of getting two consecutive terms with him. Uh, when you're talking 2024, yeah. I mean, so far in almost every poll, Trump's winning. DeSantis is in second in almost every poll. Uh, but in the meantime, one thing you could run on and say, hey, love the president. But he can only run one more term. I can run two. Exactly. So that would be a good run thing to run on. I think so. All right, Claire, thank you. I want to also go over to, uh, to let you hear what Tim Scott's saying, Cut 23. He's also, by the way, running for president. He is talking more broadly about the American spirit. He has not broken down what exactly his policies are, which is fine. It's so early. Cut 23. Spending and printing trillions of dollars caving to the radical left in this country, seeing policies posited and then implemented that led to the worst inflation in 40 years, seeing our inflation at 9.1%, seeing American families struggle because of the weight of the government on their shoulders, seeing the devastation from South Carolina to Ohio. It's unbelievable that the progressives in this country who caused a 9.1% inflation, within turn, 
somewhere besides in the mirror to see the absolute devastation caused by their out-of-control spending is remarkable. He was trying to spell it out in real human terms, and it is remarkable. But I think both sides spend. But what's the weird thing is Republicans cut deals in order to bolster the Defense Department. And Paul Ryan said, you know, in order to pass this, I got to do this. I can't. I can only give $1.4 billion for the wall. It's not going to get too much, but I'll come back and get it next time. Those are deals made. They don't walk in and say we've got to spend more. They cut deals and agree to spend more, but that's the, the Democratic agenda. So to me, there's a difference. Tim Scott points out that difference. But two Republicans are culpable. Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo are also going at Donald Trump for spending too much in past Republican, uh, past Republican uh, administrations. Special thanks to Bruce Midori and Brad James for helping us out today, Genesis Media and Radio. We're going to keep it here. On 1040 AM, News Talk, Florida. And I go, I would vote for Trump before I'd vote for Biden. Just because I think with Biden, like, he's no, he's, he's gone. Like, you know he's gone. It's, you're going to be relying on his cabinet. And I knew his cabinet would be this sideshow of diversity, and which is exactly what it is. I mean, let, that one person who stole all the women's clothes, I, uh, that Sam Brinton, we, we highlighted on the podcast yesterday, like, that's a diversity hire. You, you just said, oh, look at this, a man who dresses like a woman and has a beard and a mustache but also wears lipstick. This is perfect for us. I don't give a f- what this guy's good at or bad at. I don't give a f- what their credentials are. This makes us look like we're inclusive. This makes us look like we're on the right side. So let's, let's hire this person. And by the way, anyone hired, everyone's going to say if it's, a, if it's a hire, you only got hired because of your gender or the gender you choose to be as opposed to the one you were born with or uh, your nationality or the color of your skin. Julie Banderas joins us now. I wanted to bump in after talking to you, waiting for the comeback from break, Julie, because Joe Rogan's singing your song. Yeah. Because you were talking about Pete Buttigieg. He has no experience being transportation secretary. He's doing a terrible job. He's not even hustling. And then we have a press secretary who doesn't even know what's going on in the own administration. The, the fact that he had more credibility as a presidential candidate than he does as a transportation secretary doesn't say much. OK, first of all, I love the fact that Peter Ducey pressed the press secretary on the China crane. And her response was, which was my favorite. You'll have to check. That's a question for the transportation secretary to which Peter Ducey said, you want me to ask the transportation secretary about a China crane? Does he have experience in that? She says, well, and the Defense Department as well. He doesn't have experience in transportation. What is he going to know about China? Let's hear that exchange. There were the Chinese spy balloons and now there are these Chinese spy cranes. The Wall Street Journal is comparing them to Trojan horses in use at 80% of U.S. ports. So, on, on the cranes, don't have to uh, don't have any comment on that specific reporting. I would refer you to the Department of Transportation uh, and the Department of Defense, who've been uh, tasked with Congress to study uh, this particular issue. And if this is a Department of Transportation lead, does Secretary Buttigieg have experience? It's a, with it's it's not just the de- it's not just the Department of Transportation. It's also the Department of Defense. He doesn't have experience in either. Anything. How about that? Right. He's not trying. <laughs> no. How about this? I don't care how many years you went to uh, Oxford, how many languages you speak. You have to show up uh, where it is. If you have a problem with Southwest, I want you there. You had a problem with all aviations came to a stop for the only the second time in the history of our country. 
So that happened under him. Then he's got the balloons. Technically, that happened under him. Then you have the terrible performance on everyone during the holidays. And then you have the uh, the cargo issue, the ports. I would this. I would have done this. I would say, listen, I didn't go to Oxford, and I, I don't. I'm not a transportation expert. I'd have the best deputy possible. And the minute there was a problem, I'd be there, and I'd just be talking to the people that do the job every day and say, what is the problem? There's no substitute for being on the ground. For example, a president cannot. Re- not every president can rebuild a house outside Jimmy Carter. But where do they go? They go to the hurricane. They talk to the people on the ground. I know some are handpicked to find out where was your neighborhood. What do you need? Where is the water? Where is the shelter? Why wasn't there help? Where is FEMA? That we know that people being there, but they have no sense of hustle. No, and I can't understand why he still has that job because it's embarrassing. And yeah, I mean, first of all, what experience does he have? You can't even fault the guy. You got you got to fault the president and his administration for putting him in a position that he has no business being in. I honestly think Jimmy Fallon, as a former New York City cab driver, has more experience and is more qualified to be a transportation secretary. Jimmy just called in and said no. Uh, that <laughs> He's is like, not I don't true. want the job. Yeah, he doesn't want the job, and we don't even know if he's a good cab driver. No, we just he probably drew. wasn't. That's and, why he works for Fox. And, it, and believe me, he's not <laughs> handing out yeah comment cards like how was the driving. Right. You know, he well, that's little... before Uber ratings probably because right. he probably was only one. He star. got out of the industry right yeah, before. Right before. Do you we think had they apps. tried to keep him there at all? Like, do you think there was a movement in the taxi commission to try to keep him and out of news and in the taxi business? Uh, I don't think so. No. no. No, I have a feeling he had road rage. I'm going to just speculate. All right, I was on uh, Gutfeld earlier this week. Yeah. Right, and I had a good performance. You had a, a performance that really stood out. Oh, what do you mean? Well, I, mean, I did. Did you make an announcement on I that? I might have. I might be going through a bit of a breakup. Um, you know, and how, how are you doing? What better that? way to go through a breakup than to announce it on national television? That's Ma- what I always say. Well, what about was Martha not available? Why, uh, why Gutfeld? Is he more understanding? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is not a sympathetic, empathetic person. It was person. not planned. I just want to say for the oh, record, was it? it was not. Absolutely not. I was talking about Valentine's Day, sort of a sore subject. Um, and so I made a joke about Valentine's Day and the Freudian slip came out when I said when I was married. And then he goes, wait, what was? And, and Greg and I go way back. I mean, we've been friends since the Red Eye days. So he knows that it wasn't like, you know, a match made in heaven. Uh, and that's putting it mildly but anyway so he asks me was is something happening you haven't updated me on i'm like oh crap i'm like here we go i'm like well i guess i'll make it official yeah i'm getting a divorce but i didn't think it was a big deal but apparently the rest of the world did do you know that i was actually a number one trending topic on yahoo do you know what number two was the china spy balloon <laughs> you were beating do the china know, spy balloon do you know what number 10 was britney freaking spears uh-huh. yeah i swear to god I, I i i'm crazier than britney spears apparently that's that's more newsworthy. Thrilling. I am more newsworthy than Britney Spears. But how are you doing overall? You doing I'm doing right? great. Okay. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I'm like, you know, finally living my life. And, okay. And uh, single parenting it, which is a lot of freaking work. See, I'm able I'm to... teaching the kids to cook and clean and basically do all the things that I don't like to do. Right. Yeah. So my six year old's a little slow at it, but he'll he'll catch on. Right. That's why there's YouTube. You put him <laughs> on YouTube and go, this is what a 12, how a 12 year old will clean the house. Hit above your weight. A lady at Stop and Shop looked at me when I was checking out of the grocery store because I never used to grocery shop. And she could tell I was clearly confused. Like I had no idea what I was doing. So she handed me a brochure, which I assumed were coupons, which I'm like, I don't have time to clip coupons. She's like, no, sweetie, these are recipes. <laughs> and I t- I took them home, and I've literally used it, like, for the last two weeks. I keep going in there, and, and I made Cuban-inspired picadillo last night. Don't ask me what the hell that is. I and, discovered it last but night. But do, do your kids ask? 
No, they did actually are saying, Mommy, where did you learn this stuff? Because back in the day, if you asked my kids what's Mommy's specialty, they would say frozen nuggets and, um, and French fries and mac and cheese. Right. And now so they I've would really say, upped my now game. Now they would say something different every day. I made freaking picadillo last right. night. Yeah. And if, to get more recipes, do you go back to that supermarket and I just absolutely... hope you see this woman? <laughs> no. Or have I, you gotten I kept, a book? No, I kept the magazine. It's, uh, it's in a drawer in my kitchen, and I pull it out every night. Wait a second. Did Fox have a, a cookbook? Oh, that was a Christmas book. Oh, oh. Steve, Steve Ducey has Oh, it. yeah. I should call Steve. Right. Get recipes. Because I'm sure they're all his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he does. Cooking he, with he, friends, my, you know what? Well, I can't he, say that word. Have you I? ever been? You've done that, haven't you? Uh, I was invited on, but I don't cook, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to go on and pretend. But I could now. I could make picadillo. Right. So just let me know. But there is a Tuesday and a Wednesday and right. a Thursday. Yeah, you're right. Those are issues. Yeah, I could taco Tuesday. I'm right. also good at tacos. Uh, I did once have to call my mom and ask her if you put an egg in the boiling water after it's boiling or before. That was a question I had. Well, that's not a bad one. Well, it should be boiled first, right? It should. So you know how to time it. Yep. And when you put in a frozen pizza into the oven, you're supposed to wait till it reaches the preheat temp before you put it in. That was something I learned recently. Can I just say for me personally? I'm not very domestic. I don't have the patience for uh, putting it in the oven. I would just, if you can't microwave it, why are you buying it? If you can't order a delivery, why even bother feeding your children? That used to be my motto (laughs) when I lived in New York City. But now I live in Long Island and it's not that easy. Right. And Long Island, for people listening on the country, is where I live. Yes. So to give an idea, so it's got to be prestigious and nice and crime-free. Yeah, crime-free. Well, Not, that's we don't live in New York City, so you're right. It actually is pretty crime-free where I live. So I, I had read that in New York, we spend $360 a day on illegal immigrants, $1.4 billion a year, 2.8 for next year, 30000 are living for free. Now, you see your bills, you know what's going on. Even if you're able to make your bills, that knowing that what's coming out of your paycheck and where it's going, yep. does that drive you nuts? No, it drives me insane. And the fact that these illegals are actually taking advantage of services that our tax dollars are to be paying for ourselves. Right. I mean, our health insurance, for example, they get it for free. Right. I mean, it's really expensive to go to the doctor these days. And if you're an American and you don't have health insurance, you're in trouble. And but if you, you're not an American, you can go in and you can get whatever you need. And you know, what's so interesting is in Yuma, Arizona, there's, the main hospital there is going out of business because they have so many illegal immigrants. They don't pay a dime, but yet they got to give them uh, the surgeons. Right. Got to give them top, you know, top medical attention, and no one's paying their bills. Julie pays her bills, but we have to. We we'll take a short time out. Come back. And I want you to get your take on Chris Rock's response one year later of getting slapped in the face. Don't move. <laughs> a new study finds that married men live a longer, healthier life. Yeah, but for what? <laughs> <laughs> Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Been cheated on. 
none of us have ever been interviewed by the person that cheated on us on television. None of us. Why the f would you do that? She hurt him way more than he hurt me. Oh, you that is uh, the background to the Will Smith. It was live on Netflix. Chris Rock, Joey Banderas is here. So he was talking about it for the first time. Number one, smart uh. guy to wait. Right, he wants to be in control of it himself. Yeah, doesn't want Oprah or anybody else to get the interview. And he answered, "Julie, we'll play a little bit more of it." But what do you think about uh, Chris Rock's response? I thought it was amazing. I mean, he nailed it. I was cheering him on the entire time. I mean, first of all, he's absolutely right. What Will Smith was going through certainly had nothing to do with Chris Rock. He's lived a, an interesting life, to say the, you know the very least. No marriage is perfect, but there certainly is less than perfect and then some. And he was not really out there trying to protect his wife. She had nothing to do with that. She was just sitting there. He's a man with a temper. But I loved when Chris Rock started talking about how much bigger, uh, you know, Will Smith is than him. He's like, do you understand how much bigger this man is? Like, he's not only bigger, he's taller and stronger and so forth. And he handled it like a champ. And I loved it. I thought his routine was great. You know, the whole thing, too. I mean, it's interesting to get a hit and how it was immediately interpreted. Back then, it was, feel bad for Will Smith. And, you know, he was in fist sticking up for his wife. And yeah. people were tweeting out that I have uh, alopecia, too, or yeah, whatever it was. alopecia. Within the show, Denzel Washington was like, hey, my man, we go through with your stuff. And then he goes to the post party. But the whole world turned upside down as soon as people started digesting what did you just do? Why that was wasn't he arrested? A I don't understand. How did That's he still assault. get an award? That is assault. I honestly don't understand why he wasn't even pulled out of the place. He was allowed to go back and sit there. I mean, he, he they have seat fillers for that reason. I'm sure that this has never come up, but therefore a seat filler could have taken a seat. He should have been arrested. It's It's just so gross. But, I mean, Chris Rock handled it so well by addressing it. And he absolutely made such a great point that his issues with his wife and his personal life obviously played on the stage of that uh, award ceremony, and he just handled it so well. Here is uh, when he was also talking about Meghan Markle. I thought he was hysterical. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just how self-indulgent and crazy <laughs> yes, these people yes, are. Yes. Cut 44. Like, what was this girl, uh, Meghan Markle? Oh, my God. Seemed like a nice lady. Just complaining. I was like, didn't she hit the light skin lottery? And still going off complaining. Acting all dumb like she don't know nothing. Going on Oprah, I didn't know. I had no idea how racist they were. It's the royal family. You didn't Google this What the is she talking about? She didn't know. It's the royal family. They're the original racists. They invented colonialism. That's like marrying into the Budweiser family and going, they drink a lot. The f*** is she talking about? They're so racist, they're so racist. Some of that she went through was not racism. It was just some in-law Because she's complaining. I'm like, what the f*** is she talking about? They're so racist. They wanted to know how brown the baby's going to be. I'm like, that's not racist. Because even black people want to know. <laughs> How brown the baby gonna be? <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic. That was amazing. You know what was?
was so great about him as well is that a lot of people were wondering where he falls politically. He really nailed it because when you have Hollywood types and celebrities and so forth, you know exactly where they are. I mean, he hit both sides of the aisle politically. You know, he talked about how this ridiculous woke agenda is just absolutely this politically correct agenda has absolutely gotten out of control and that comedians can't even be comedians anymore. And so he got out there and he hit them from every single side. I mean, as long as it's not unsavory behavior, if it's jokes you don't like, the guys like Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, yeah. uh, Jerry Seinfeld, those are the ones that got to lead the charge. It's sad. Exactly. But they got to they be the Minutemen yeah. who go out first and say, okay, I'll go do this. And, oh, you don't like that? I'm, I'm up tomorrow night and that place is sold out too. Oh, I'm up that arena. I'm sold out too. I'm going back to the Beacon Theater and that's sold out. Oh, you don't like it? Then don't go. No, you know? I know. And by the way, <laughs> stop charging the stage. No, I know. Absolutely. And and that's the problem now, that comedians can't do their jobs anymore because the whole political correctness has just gotten so out of control. People can't laugh. I mean, he, first of all, can go up there and say whatever the hell he wants as far as I'm concerned. But, but, but expect was, to be insulted. You were a comedian. I was talking to the owner of a comedy club, and he was telling me, though, the young guys and young women are worried, and they should be about anybody they don't want to blow up their career early. You're right. So they're You're still right. You're right protected. because these guys are, are veterans, so they are protected. But the new up uh, up and coming comedians, right. they're screwed because if you do one thing wrong, you're canceled, and that's it. That's the end of your career. Chris Rock's got at least enough of a career to look back on, and people can't really fault him for being funny. But the new guys, they get faulted for being funny and canceled. And so, what is what should our strategy be? Let's say we're in the air, unscripted, a lot. Let's say we make a mistake. What's I mean, our we're what's veterans, our strategy? Brian? Oh no, we're oh veterans. really? <laughs> you mean experienced people don't get in trouble? No, I get in trouble all the time. Right. Actually, on the line. So uh, we got advice, uh, Allison. We heard some advice the other day from some, one of the most experienced people around, and they say if you do misspeak, okay, as soon as you can, go back and fix it. End it right there. Yeah. Don't wait. Okay. Go back and fix it. Really? Yeah. Do Have you, you do done you agree this? with that? By the way. But, oh, absolutely. But yeah. have you done this? Like, have you screwed up badly enough ever in your life? Oh, Do you yeah. ever make mistakes, Brian? I would, think, um, I would think that if you Google me, 85% is negative. And even if it's a positive, oh, the I headline's didn't say negative. Oh, I people don't like to hate on you, but people love to hate on everybody at Fox. But do you correct yourself when you think you're wrong right after the fact? I probably had three big ones. Really? Yeah. That I think that I didn't, I know exactly what I meant. And I regret that. Like, oh, Brian, we need to see you. The second floor calls. Oh, boy. Did you, how many, did you get them? Those. Oh, I get those all the time. <laughs> yeah. You go, hey, we need to see you. How are we going to fix this? Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is good to fix it right away because but, if you let any time go by, then it makes it look like you do not acknowledge that you made a mistake. Right. But what's so sad and annoying is that we, too, are humans. We do make mistakes. But when you've got every eye on you looking for mistakes, oh, yeah. then the slightest little slip up, God forbid, I misspoke. Well, that comes with this channel. I misspeak all the time. Right. <laughs> I mean, like on a daily basis. It's a miracle, actually. I'm I, allowed I, on any live airwave. I think, it just, I think it just comes with it. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah handle you make a mistake but in the big picture when you look at hollywood if they complained they started it they started all this crap yeah. all these celebrities going and they out. never take responsibility i right. mean they're such hypocrites right they say stuff and it doesn't matter but if we say stuff or if we call them on it if we don't say it properly we get called out or they look back at old tweets they made and mm -hmm. movies that they did and they just can't air it anymore because of what they yes. started yes Julia, I enjoyed our quality time together. I love you, Brian. Right. And I love you Truly, more, if that's even more. possible. I don't think it is. You don't think it is? No. Not, All right, not so at you all. win again. Yeah, Why I does do. Julia Banderas always win? I always win, win Brian.
Thanks, Julie. <laughs> Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.